Right, so, so. Well, here we are again. Did you miss us? Yes. Lois and I are always delighted to come back. Tom and the elders have actually asked me to come and preach periodically. So I'm part of the adjunct staff now at Shepherd of the Valley Bible Church. Uh, actually, I think I come in for comic relief. Um, and from what I understand, Tommy always preaches so much better after I've been here. Uh, or maybe it just sounds that way. I can't think of a place I'd rather be than Hood River at Shepherd of the Valley on this beautiful spring Sunday. When Lois and I served here, uh, some friends of ours from Nebraska came out to see us, and Lois took them on the Fruit Loop in the spring. And they said when they got back, their necks hurt because they were going, wow, 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 wow. Just like that. And they said, you left Oregon to come to Nebraska? They couldn't believe it. They were really impressed with our, our dedication. Uh, by the way, one of the things they also talked about is how well you welcomed them. when, when they, they just couldn't get over that. So thanks again for uh, having us back. Uh, one of the tools that we use, I'm an interim pastor, and um, I have gone around the country to eight different places, literally from coast to coast, from sea to shining sea, uh, serving churches that are in between. And one of the tools that we leave, uh, use, especially in leadership development, is called a one-word devotional. It's a real simple process to get people into the study of the Bible for themselves. And uh, there's a real simple process. Matter of fact, Tommy, I, I think I sent it in, but I'd be willing to send it again because I think it would be helpful to go on a card, and it could be very helpful, but basically it, it means just choosing a word that's in the Bible, looking at a number of verses uh, that support that word or where the word or the concept is there, uh, getting a Bible dictionary, getting a regular dictionary, and kind of building out on that, and then uh, sh some verses, getting a concordance and looking at, at several verses there, and then giving everybody an opportunity to meditate together as a team, as a group, a small group, on that particular word. And so it's, I like it, first of all, because it's really simple. And the older I get, simple becomes more attractive. And it gets people into the Bible for themselves. Um, we have become dependent, I think, and if I'm stepping on toes, <laughs> I'll be gone soon. Um, <laughs> It gets people into the Bible for themselves rather than depending on prepackaged Bible study workbooks or professionally produced video uh, teaching. Beth Moore, Chip Ingram, Andy Stanley, Priscilla, Priscilla Shire, whoever your teacher of choice is, and those are some great communicators. They are great students of the Word, excellent communicators. But I love to see a group of people able to dig into the Word for themselves and use a word, I was raised in California. Are you familiar with the word Eureka? You know what Eureka means? What? I found it, I found it. And it's so cool when you say, this isn't an insight that I got from one of these big guns. This is something that I did by digging into the word for myself and I heard God speak to me. I saw something here that, and I found it out for myself. So it encourages interaction with other believers and the Lord. We listen to him, we talk about this issue, and then we respond to him in prayer. So there's kind of a conversation that goes on. So anyway, that's just, again, I'll be gone soon, so you don't have to pay attention to that, but I'd be willing to send that, Tommy, because I think 
it's an important, simple tool to get believers into the Word of God for themselves. So I decided to do a rendition of this approach um, on a one-word sermon minus the group discussion. Um, and uh, maybe there'll be discussion at lunch today. I hope there will be. But the word I've chosen is encouragement. Uh, Lois and I faced our greatest challenge in our sixth interim. We've done eight altogether. Uh, this church, by the way, was number four. And when we went to this church, we'd never seen a church that needed more encouragement or was more resistance to it. And I don't think I've been in a situation where I personally needed more encouragement than in the two years that we spent there. But by the grace of God, and I really mean that, we saw a remarkable turnaround in the final months. Um, ended very well when I handed the baton to their lead pastor, and that was around eight years ago. How many of you could use some encouragement? Anybody? Any of you know somebody who needs encouragement? Okay, tune in today. I hope that this, you'll find this very um, helpful. And I'm going to probably need encouragement to do this right, so I hope we get into it. I love it when a plan comes together. Look at that. What is encouragement? You've got some blank notes there, but uh, if you want to fill in some things here, the first question we're asking, what is encouragement? And again, we're kind of following this process that I talked about with some basic definitions from English dictionaries. Uh, encouragement, to encourage, means to inspire, to infuse with courage, confidence, hope, to give support, to assist, to stimulate, or to spur. So that's just your English dictionary. Then Vine's Dictionary of New Testament Words, I'm going to really impress you with this. You can get the accurate trans, uh, ex explanations uh, and, and all later from Tommy because he's a pro at this stuff. But protrepo in the Greek means to urge forward, to urge forward, to persuade. Look at that. Do I have that on there? Look at their basic definitions. Hey, it's all there. Fantastic. So those are some of the things that it means. Um, from the New Testament words, we talked about protrepo. The second word is paramethaomai, which means to stimulate the discharge of the ordinary duties of life. And then a word that you may have heard periodically, and that's the word paraclesis or paraclete. It means to call to one side, to advocate, to exhort. A paraclete, by the way, in the New Testament is the same word is used for a lawyer, believe it or not, and a wife, helpmate, and the Holy Spirit. So the next time you tell a lawyer joke, be careful. Be really careful because, you know, at that point, they're like, not bad company to keep, by the way. Those paraclete, paraclete idea, some, somebody who comes to the side to support and help. Some biblical descriptions of what this word encouragement really means. Psalm 1017, you hear, O Lord, the desire of the afflicted. You encourage them and you listen to their cry. 1 Thessalonians 4.18, we sent Timothy, who is our brother and God's fellow worker in spreading the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage you in your faith. And then one of a preacher's favorite verses or passages, Hebrews 10.24 and 25, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. 
By the way, this encouragement isn't just what happens from the pulpit to the chairs. Encouragement is what happens when people get together before the service and after the service, and they are engaged in this ministry of encouragement. So every time you come to church, folks, you are on duty. You're on the list. You're on the list in terms of the ministry of encouragement. 2 Corinthians 124 says, we're not trying to control your faith. You're strong in faith, but we are workers with you for your own joy. Now, it used to be that we seldom um, went to the King James to clarify something. We're usually clarifying the King James version of the Bible to put it in more updated language. But I like the way the King James puts this thing. It says, not uh, for that we have dominion over your faith, but we are, and I love this phrase, helpers of your joy. Have you ever considered yourself a helper of someone else's joy? Helpers of people's joy. Be a room brightener. Be a day brightener. Be a life brightener. If, of course, there was a patron saint of encouragement that in the New Testament, it would be Barnabas, the son of encouragement. And we see that in at least a couple of different ways. One of them is that he stood beside Paul of, or Saul of Tarsus to affirm his conversion to Christ and call to the ministry. Remember the crowd that he was introducing to? He used to be the persecutor of the church. <clears throat> and so he's standing up there when the crowd, uh, he definitely wouldn't, he would not have get, gotten either the popular or the electoral vote at that moment. He was by himself and the whole crowd was against him. And it was Barnabas that's standing next to him. And then on another occasion, mentoring young John Mark, John Mark had been fired by Paul. How'd you like to be fired by the Apostle Paul? And he was. And it was Barnabas, the son of encouragement, who says, I'm going to take him on. I'm going to become a mentor to John Mark. Well, let's move on to this next thing. Who needs encouragement? And the obvious answer to that question is that everybody does, right? At one time or another. Now it's story time, children, so I want you to pay attention to Papa, all right? A married couple was asleep in bed on a stormy night when they were awakened by a loud knock on the front door. The man crawled out of bed and grumpily went downstairs. When he opened the front door, he found a man dripping wet and obviously very drunk who said to him, can you give me a push? To which the man of the house replied sharply, no, go and sober up. He slammed the door and stormed upstairs. When he got back into bed and explained what had happened, his wife was indignant and said to him, that wasn't a very kind Christian response. That man could be in trouble, and you've just sent him out into the storm for the rest of the night. Reluctantly, the man got out of bed a second time. Of course he did. Put on his coat and went downstairs. He, he was sure he wasn't going to get any peace until he did something for the man out in the rain. When he got to the front door, the rain was streaming down, and he could not see the other man. He could hear a faint noise out in the front yard, so he called out, Hello, are you still there? What can I do to help? To which the other man replied, Could you give me a push? I'd be happy to if I could see you. Where are you? I'm over here on your swing. <laughs> now that's kind of a goofy story. But I think it's a pretty good picture of encouragement. It's like pushing someone on a swing until they can start pumping for themselves. Encouragement means coming alongside and inputting courage 
perspective or attitudes that help others get up and get going. There are a lot of things in life that cause us to leak courage, to become discouraged, draining of courage, a crisis, uh, exhaustion, sickness, cutting words or actions from someone else. So where courage has faded away, encouragement is refilling courage. It's like pulling up to the gas station or now to the electric charger and infusing something that is gone or it's about gone. Encouragement is the replacement of what has been taken or what has leaked out of someone, specifically when their courage has drained. The Bible is filled with stories of people who needed encouragement. People, I mean, big names. People like Abraham and Moses and David and Mary and Joseph. And even Jesus, even Jesus needed encouragement. We see that especially in, uh, in this passage in Mark chapter 14. But, you know, after all these years of knowing and serving the Lord, I continue to be amazed by his humanity as much as I am by his deity. It's hard to imagine an omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent God needing encouragement, especially coming from human beings. But Jesus came to that point in his life where that's exactly what he needed, and he actually asked for it. Sometimes we have to ask for encouragement. And he did in that situation in Gethsemane, and most of you remember that story. A lot of times we go over it uh, around Good Friday, or we go over it at communion time. Jesus went directly to the Father in prayer about this heaviness of heart as he was anticipating the cross. According to Luke's gospel, we read this, an angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. So that's pretty good stuff. It kind of blows my mind that in addition to praying, Jesus did, he was discouraged, so he prays, and there's an angelic presence that shows up, and yet he sought support from three guys, three very human guys, Peter, James, and John. And he said, would you just be with me? And would you pray with me and for me as I'm going through this? And what did they do? What did they do? They fell asleep, right? Okay, not very encouraging. So Jesus needed encouragement. And you and I do. Since I don't know your discouragement story, you're going to have to listen to one of mine. For several reasons, our sixth interim was our most challenging. And to be honest, going into it, I was a little bit overconfident. That's a really nice way of saying arrogant. I had five previous interim ministries around the country, all of which went pretty well, like they did here. I was actually involved in training potential interim pastors along with our, uh, the president of our, our, of our ministry. I actually turned down an opportunity at a much larger, healthier church because I thought, this church needs me, and I'm going to be able to do something for them. It's a 120-year-old church. It had been through several cycles of surges and setbacks. We did a study and found out that of the previous eight pastors that they'd had in the church, six of, six of them had been forced out, and four of those for moral failure from either the pastor or his wife. The situation that I stepped into it is that the pastor's wife had an affair with a very prominent man in the church and in the community. 
The church had been growing. They'd been making inroads into the community, planning to move to a, to a new campus, and then all of this hit the fan. The congregation had been divided over whether or not the pastor should continue his ministry there. He didn't do anything wrong, right? It was his wife. So that's what they were arguing about. I had a hard time getting in sync with the leaders of the congregation as a whole. For one thing, I was a left coast guy in New England. There was a culture gap there, to be sure. They either didn't understand or accept um, the idea of an intentional interim pastor, despite my efforts to communicate it. Neither my preaching nor my leadership style seemed to resonate with them as it had in other places. And even worse, they didn't get my humor. Can you believe that? I mean, that's a serious blow. It had been years since I'd felt that insecure that I was doubting my gifts, doubting my calling. Safe to say at that church, their trust in pastors was pretty low, pretty well down there. In addition to the challenges of that New England church, Lois and I were dealing with some significant family issues. My 93-year-old dad took a turn for the worse and passed away in September of 2014. So that meant that there had to be trips out west. There were a lot of phone calls and emails and texts and arrangements to make and concern for my 90-plus-year-old mom. Our daughter Susan got married in October of that same year. It was a wonderful event, but it was emotionally, physically, and financially expensive. Can I hear an amen from all the fathers of the brides out there? You know what I'm talking about. And then around the same time, our ninth grandchild, Alistair, was born, uh, which was fantastic. But between these three events, Lois was out west a lot, while I was back east a lot, feeling very, very alone. Now, your discouragement story may be a lot more dramatic than mine is, more devastating than mine is. But you know what? I haven't been called to handle yours. And you haven't been called to handle mine. The reality is we just have to handle our own stuff, don't we? But anyway, they... They leave us. Um, crisis, setbacks, exhaustion, rejection, failure, illness, or loss. They leave us feeling defeated, deflated, and generally discouraged. When we need encouragement or know someone who does, the final question is who gives encouragement? Every Christian here knows that encouragement ultimately comes from God. Uh, through the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Psalm 10, 17, you hear, O Lord, the desire of the afflicted. You encourage them, and you listen to their cry. We look at encouraging passages in the Bible, probably go to the Psalms a lot, and pour out our hearts to the Lord in prayer. Some of you would say sacred music does it for me. Christian music does it for me. It helps calm the savage beast of discouragement as it did for King Saul when David sang and played for him. The Hebrews passage that I mentioned a few moments ago and others make it clear that the ministry of encouragement is assigned to Christians like you and me. So, let's talk about more of my story, because I know you're dying to hear more of it, right? The Lord provided some initial shots of encouragement through a, uh, an older, wiser man in the area who actually had been the former pastor at this church. He was not one of the 
ones that were dismissed for moral problems. He listened, provided perspective, uh, knew some of the key players in the church, uh, and knew about the culture, and affirmed my, the importance of my role as an interim pastor. And I got all of that for the cost of a few lunches. So that's a pretty good deal. The pastor search began in September of 2014, and it progressed very well. And after a few months, uh, the pastor search team narrowed the field to three candidates um, who best fit the pastor profile, uh, the one that we had developed, very similar to the process that we followed when we were here. So we had these three candidates left. Their number one choice was my number three choice. My number three choice was their number one choice. So we were out of sync again. And as an interim pastor, you're not actually leading that, you're kind of coaching it. So I had to do a lot of lip biting and question asking and that kind of a thing rather than to reveal too much. Well, then the field narrowed even further when two out of the three remaining candidates backed out. My number one they're number three. That's the, guy that's, that's the guy that was the remaining candidate. And some of the people were adamant, saying, you know, we need to just start this process all over again. We need to widen the net, widen the search, that kind of a thing, uh, so that we can find the right guy. And uh, I was pretty discouraged at that point because I was convinced this guy would be ideal for the church. And I also realized that if we had to start all over again, I'd have to stay there longer. That was the selfish part of it. When things are coming to a decision point, I got a monthly call from, we have a, a pastoral care director. He's a former interim pastor himself. He's in his 90s, and he calls all the interims every month just to see how they're doing. And so he asked how he could pray, and I shared our dilemma with him, and he told me about another interim pastor in a very similar situation. Um, and after fervent prayer for unanimity, the divided team united around this candidate, and they called him. And I thought, well, that was great for their church, but it's not going to happen here. But he prayed. Howard just prayed boldly that the Lord would do the same for our church that he'd done for that church. Because of that story and Howard's example, um, I got back together with the search team, and I said, let's commit this to prayer for another week before we make any decision about what we're going to do next. So let's make, take another shot at that. Just seeking God and saying, God, can you bring us together or give us direction for how we should proceed? And then out of that, we decided that we would have one more conversation with the remaining candidate. We'd have a conference call. That was before we were doing much Zooming. So it, it was just the conference call. So we held the, the conference call. Um, and his answers were so insightful and so understanding and so sensitive. We got to the end of the conference call, and the leader of the pastor search team went around the room person to person and said, what do you think? Every person said, this is God's man for our church. In the services that led up to his coming as a candidate, we ha I had every one of the search team members get up and personally share why they believed that this was God's man for our church. And this church voted 100% to call him. This was a very divided church. I mean, an angrily divided church. 
And to see God answer that prayer was absolutely phenomenal. Now, maybe all of this would have happened without Howard's encouraging words and prayer, but I saw divine providence involved. And I do know that because of the encouragement that I received, I was able to stay focused and keep moving forward. In retrospect, we can see how the Lord used us in that difficult situation and ultimately provided a wonderful pastor with this church. And by the way, the church is flourishing. They are together and they are flourishing. Now, some practical suggestions on, um, on how to do this. I always have to include this part. I have to include the word practical at some point in my sermon because I'm married to Lois, my trophy wife back over here. So wave your hand, honey, so everybody can see you. Because she said, yeah, but tell me something practical. How can I apply this to the situation? So, regardless of your age or stage of life, you can give shots of encouragement to others in some ways. And so I just want to go over a few of these with you that I, I hope will be particularly helpful. We encourage people by using pleasant words without barbs. Pleasant words without barbs. Proverbs 12, 25, anxiety in a man's heart weighs it down, but a good word, a good word makes it glad. We encourage people by recognizing and sharing what God is doing in and through them. 1 Thessalonians 1, we are always thankful as we pray for you all. For we never forget that your faith has meant solid achievement, your love has meant hard work, and the hope you have in our Lord Jesus Christ means sheer dogged endurance in the life that you live before God, the Father of all. I like the way that Paul is specific. We're not talking about flattery here. We're not talking about embellishment of things that are not true. We're talking about finding some very clear and definite points where they can be Affirm by recognizing and sharing what God is doing in and through them. We encourage people with gratitude for how they have blessed us, sharing simple gratitude for how they've blessed us. Philippians chapter 4, and by the way, the uh, book of Philippians is great. It's just like a big, it's like a thank you note. And uh, in chapter 4, we read this, when I first preached the good news, you were the only church that helped me. It was when I left for the country of Macedonia. Even while I was in the city of Thessalonica, you helped me more than once. I have everything I need and more than enough. I am taken care of because Epaphroditus brought your gift. It is a sweet gift. It's a gift that costs you something. It's the kind of gift that God is so pleased with. We encourage people with gratitude for how they have blessed us. This is an important one. We encourage people by believing in them, by believing in them. Philippians 1.6, I'm confident that the creator who has begun such a great work among you will not stop in mid-design, but will keep perfecting you until the day uh, Jesus the anointed, our liberating king, returns to redeem the world. We encourage people by speaking well of them. To others. I like this one too. I really like this. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, I know you want to help. I've been bragging about this to the people in Macedonia, telling them that you in southern Greece have been ready to give since last year, and your desire to give has made, um, has most, made most of them 
ready to give also. Have you ever bragged about somebody else? Bragging about somebody else. What a great, what a great w- way for gossip to get around, the right kind of gossip, right? I heard something about you the other day. Someone shared something about you, and I, I was really blessed by what I heard. We encourage people by affirming their gifts, abilities, and accomplishments. This is an obscure passage. It's one of those that every so often just pops out at you and you've never seen it before. Is God still writing some new verses in the Bible for you? Okay, Isaiah 41, 6 and 7. People help their neighbors and say to their relatives, be brave. Craftsmen encourage goldsmiths. Metalsmiths encourage blacksmiths who work at their anvils. They say that their soldering is good and they fasten things with nails so they won't move. Praising someone's craftsmanship. That's what this abilities, gifts, accomplishments, the things have done. And when we note that, we say it, it's great encouragement. It's great encouragement to people. We encourage people, of course, by listening to them and taking their concerns seriously. And we get the greatest example of that from the Lord himself, Psalm 10, 17. You listen to the longings of those who suffer. You offer them hope. You pay attention to their cries for help. We encourage people by being present with them. Psalm 34, 18. If your heart is broken, you'll find God right there. If you're kicked in the gut, he'll help you catch your breath. Isn't that great? Just being present with people, just being present with people can be a great encouragement to them. And of course, you could come up with the last one here. We encourage people by praying with and for them. 2 Corinthians 1.11, please help us by praying for us. Then many people will give thanks for the blessings we receive in answer to all these prayers. I've come to the conclusion at this point in my life that my primary ministry needs to be one of encouragement. A lot of what I do is out of town. Used to be we physically went out of town, and Proverbs 25, 25 says, good news from a faraway place is like a cool drink of water when you're hot and thirsty. And I got to tell you, Portland is far out. I mean, it's really out there. So we come from out of town, or right now, rather than actually physically traveling, I'm doing a lot of work um, on conference calls. I'm doing conference calls with churches that are considering using our ministry. And so when I'm making these conference calls, a lot of times the people that I talk to are weary and discouraged. The members are wary and confused. They're working through grief and loss, anger and disillusionment, or boredom and complacency. And so we come into that situation with assorted tools to help them through these transitional process, such as we did here. There are two things that I try to convey when I've either physically gone to a church or I'm doing a conference call with a church, and it's this. There is hope and I can help. There is hope, and I can help. And I think that's the essence of encouragement. There is hope, and I can help. 
I think the ministry of encouragement is especially significant because we can get better at it as we get older. Doesn't that sound good? Something you can actually get better at as you get older? Part of it, I think, is because we're moving and thinking slower. It takes us more time. So we listen, we ask questions, we offer suggestions, we assist with solutions and provide affirmation. In both receiving and giving encouragement, I have found out that a little really can go a long way. It's almost, I don't know, some of you may be on this regimen of taking that tiny little baby aspirin every day, supposed to help your heart. And that's kind of what encouragement is for the people around us. It's giving that little dose, that little dose, that little recharge, that little refill of courage that they need to get through the day. Regular doses of encouragement are a huge part of helping a church and others get healthier. So that means as long as my brain is halfway engaged, there's one thing I should be able to do for the rest of my life. I should be able to be an encourager for the rest of my life. I should be able to provide affirming words, a listening ear, physical touch, heartfelt prayer, even meaningful gifts. And I believe that the profound ministry of simple encouragement can keep us from becoming grumpy old men and women. You don't want to become a grumpy old man or woman, do you? And everybody said? Amen. Amen or no. And there's nothing worse than a grumpy old pastor, let me tell you that. The Bible teacher and commentator uh, F.B. Meyer once remarked that if he had his life to live over again, he would spend a whole lot more time encouraging other people. Can you think of anyone in this room who needs encouragement right about now? Better question, can you think of anybody in this room who doesn't need encouragement? Chances are everybody does. Your pastor and his wife, other staff pastors, elders, ministry leaders, children, teenagers, young adults, middle-aged parents, singles, older adults, neighbors, relatives, and co-workers, everybody, almost everybody you come across needs that little pill. They need encouragement. They need encouragement. It doesn't have to be fantastic. It doesn't have to be over the edge. It just needs to be that which is going to keep them going just another step. In closing, I want to remind you that the gospel is the ultimate encouragement. It's good news for sinners who need forgiveness and cleansing, which only Jesus can provide, and it's good news for Christians who need to be reminded of the truth found in Philippians 1.6. Great one. He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. Little dose. There's hope and I can help. Can you say that? There's what? There's hope and? There's hope and I can help. That's biblical encouragement. Let's bow together in prayer. Jesus, Lois, and I are always encouraged when we come here to Shepherd. Thank you so much for this church. And when we think about the, the churches that we've served, we can't think of one that's been more encouraging than the people here. And I thank you for that. 
And Lord, I pray that this will continue, but also go out beyond these walls, thinking about the people that we engage, that we encounter throughout the week. Representatives of Jesus Christ, representatives of the gospel, which is good news, and we have good news to share. And Lord, I thank you so much for Tommy and Sue and the tremendous ministry that they've had here for 10 plus years. And I pray, Lord, that they'll continue to be encouraged. Thank you so much for the elders of this church. And I know they always are facing challenges of one kind or another, and I pray for their encouragement today as well. Pray for Don. Pray for the different ministry leaders, for Kendra, for different people that are involved along the way. Lord, give them encouragement, especially at the time when they kind of hit the wall and can't see their way forward. And I pray that there'll be a minister of encouragement close by. But Lord, would you just put this on us? We can spend our life looking for encouragement. And uh, I'm challenged today to say, I want to be the one who provides it. Thank you, Jesus, so much for the privilege of sharing together in the body of Christ. And I pray this name in his name. And everybody said, Amen. amen.